Good morning, Watermark. How's everybody doing? Nice. Hey, happy 4th of July. All right. God, baseball, and apple pie. America. There you go. I walked in here. This dude over here is rocking the red, white, and blue over here. That's what I'm talking about. I walked in. I was like, whoa. I didn't know if to shake his hand or salute, you know. But, uh, hey, uh, my name's Nathan, and this is a totally a one-off message. So, like, if you think that we're going to start a new series, you're going to have to listen to me all the time. You don't have to. It's all good just today, okay? So it's, it's all good. But as we were talking about uh, doing this message, some people were like, hey, you really ought to, like, let people know more about you and stuff. You know, I've been up here a couple times, and... And so I was like, yeah, all right, great. Well, uh, my name's Nathan. I serve on the equipping team. And this is my family right here. We are, uh, yeah, there you go. Cue the, oh, you can clap if you want. Yeah, I'm clapping. It's awesome. <clears throat> so that was literally just like two days ago. We were at a 4th of July celebration. And uh, so that's Nate and Miles and Jules. And then my, my wife, Margaret, is pregnant with our fourth, a little girl. Come on. Baby Joy. We have a, there's actually a crazy story about that. You should ask, ask uh, sometime. I'm willing to tell it, just don't have time to today. But, uh, <clears throat> but Jesus actually named our daughter. So I'll just drop that there and leave it. <laughs> You're like, what the heck? Who am I listening to right now? Uh, I'm not Jesus, I promise you. Um, but, uh, you know, when I asked, when, today's a one-off, so when, I asked, when they asked me to do this, I, was, I, I looked at it and I was like, hey, are you guys asking me to do this because I'm, I'm like the token military guy around here, you know? And they're like, nah, yeah. Um, I was like, okay, that's fine. But uh, just a little bit more about my story. I did serve in the military. I was in the army for uh, about six years. I deployed twice to Afghanistan. And uh, yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, and here's some pictures of, of that. This is, uh, this is me as a little butter bar lieutenant running patrols in Afghanistan. And when you do that, you drink a lot of chai with a lot of village elders and leaders. So uh, one of the things that I learned, though, about being in the army is, one, I was a lot skinnier. Um, <laughs> every time I look at that, I'm like, dang. All right, I got work to do. Um, <clears throat> it's all good. But... Uh, but also, just in my time in Afghanistan, uh, you have a very keen sense that you're the foreigner. You know, like, like I knew when I was running, oh, look at that kid. I love that kid. We were, we were actually, it's a quick story, but uh, so there are two different types of patrols. One, generally, dismounted and mounted. Dismounted just means you're on your feet. Um, and mounted means you're in like a, what they call a mine-resistant uh, anti um, uh, MRAP. I can't remember the total thing of it. Anyway, it's a, basically it looks like a, a big truck or a tank. And <clears throat> although all of my army guys are going, what are you talking about? Um, anyway, we would drive around in these trucks, and, uh, but we would go to these villages and meet these people. And that kid, throw that picture back up there, because um, <laughs> we walked into this village and that kid was totally, I was like, dude, you're totally going to be the president of Afghanistan someday. I mean, <laughs> I, like, if you don't, if like, try to put yourself in their shoes. Like you're, you, if some other country had their army in your backyard and came into your house constantly, how would that make you feel? Probably not great, right? 
But this kid, I walk into this compound and this kid's there and he's like, he's got that smile on his face. I was like, hang on, dude, this is a photo op, you know? So I'm shaking his hand. But as you're, uh, as you're doing, as I was doing that, it, it was very uh, clear to me that I was the foreigner. Like I was, uh, uh, and not only was I a foreigner, but there was a, there was a weight of responsibility on me as a citizen of the United States to be a good ambassador for our country in a foreign land in a land that frankly did not want us to be there. And I mean, you're, if, you're watch, if you pay attention to the news, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of chaos going on in Afghanistan right now. In fact, in between services, a, a, a girl who very first time to Texas, very first time at Watermark was here this morning from Afghanistan and was like, you talked about my country. Um, so pray for them because uh, the, the church in Afghanistan is, has a really unique opportunity right now to bear witness. But as we talk about this, um, we're, uh, that, that weight of citizenship of like, hey, I am representing a, an entire nation to this other country who I'm a foreigner in their land. And, uh, and I started thinking about for this morning, like what does it look like for us to be ambassadors for Christ in so-called enemy-occupied territory, in territory where uh, the enemy of our souls the Satan, the adversary, the accuser, right, is seeking to steal and kill and destroy. And he is in a dominant position right now, right now, not always. And yet in the midst of that, there is this people, this church of Christ that was born, that is bearing witness of a deeper citizenship, one that is citizenship in the kingdom of God and not in any of the kingdoms of the world. And a lot of times you'll hear the word kingdom of God and you're like, hey, what does that mean? I mean, you hear that thrown around. Jesus uses it a lot. He'll use kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. What does that mean? The simplest answer to that is just it, the entire world is God's creation. All of it, the entire cosmos, the universe. If there are multiple universes, those two, right? All of them. So like, all of it's God's, and yet there, are, there is, are places all over the world where what God wants to be done is not done. That's enemy-occupied territory. The kingdom of God is when, in that enemy-occupied territory, when what God wants to be done is done, kingdom of God. You see what I'm saying? Now, the entire Bible is about Jesus coming to liberate us so that we could be ambassadors for the kingdom so that kingdom of God people, ambassadors, citizens of the kingdom of heaven start popping up all over the world. And then one of these days, right? The whole thing is the kingdom of God. It's awesome. <clears throat> Today though, when we're talking about being a, uh, in living in the kingdom of God or living in the kingdom of this world, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of Paul, right? Because Paul's a Roman citizen. And that was a privilege for him. It actually saved his bacon a couple of times, right? People were after him. They were trying to kill him. And he was like, hey, by the way, I was like born a Roman citizen. They were like, oh, everything stops, right? And they treat him with a lot of respect because it carries weight. Who you represent, the privileges that you have, the values you have, what kind of laws you submit to, all of those things carry weight. And frankly, they carried probably more weight back then than they do now. 
Um, and what I want to do this morning is I want to take us through this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, which is a, a, a Greek, well, actually, it was a Roman city in the Greek world, right? But it was, uh, it was a, a Roman city that had an, an early church that Paul actually planted uh, with Silas this is when the whole earthquake happened and demons are getting cast out and, you know, uh, all uh, Lydia, that's where they meet Lydia. And uh, later on, it, about 12-ish years later, uh, Paul is a Roman citizen in a Roman jail in Rome. So he is not in a dominant position at all, like not even a little bit. He's chained either to a Roman soldier or to the wall. And yet he's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And, he's, and a, a dominant theme, in fact, uh, citizenship shows up a little bit in the New Testament, not a lot, but it shows up twice in Philippians. And so this is something that is driving what Paul is communicating to uh, the church at Philippi. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk us through the entire letter to the Philippians. All right. Now, some of y'all are sitting there going, oh, dad, gum. What did I just get myself into, right? We're going to be here till like three o'clock. <clears throat> no, it's all good, all right? It'll, uh, I'm going to move quickly. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask us some diagnostic questions that's going to assess for us, like, hey, what does my life look like? Does it look more like I'm more concerned about the kingdoms of this world and being a citizen and good standing in that regard? Or does my life reflect a deeper reality of the kingdom of God and being a citizen in, in regard to the kingship of Jesus? And so what I wanna do is ask four diagnostic questions and I'm gonna ask the, but there's four chapters in Philippians and so we're gonna do diagnostic question one in chapter one, then two, then three, then four. All right, we'll draw some conclusions and we'll go eat some barbecue and sing the national anthem and all that kind of awesome stuff, all right? <clears throat> so... Here's what I want to do. The first question is this. When you're pressed as a, as a citizen, either of the kingdoms of this world or the kingdom of heaven, but when you're pressed, what spills out of you? So you guys seen those, like, uh, those lemon squeezer things uh, that you, I don't know, we have a green one in our kitchen. I don't even know what it's called. I've got a lemon squeezer, I guess. But you put something in it and you press it and then like lemon juice comes out. Because I like water, but water's always better with lemon in it. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, that's what I'm talking about. So, well, whatever, I'm just gonna chase a rabbit there, but I don't have time. All right, <clears throat> so but when you're pressed, what spills out of you? And one of the things that, you're gonna feel as we go through this content is you're gonna feel like, oh, what spills out of me? Or the answer to this question is uh, not the right one in my life. Like the reality in my life is not what it should be. And you're gonna feel the temptation to go, oh, I need to do something better. I need to like work harder, try harder. And one of the things you're gonna see as we walk through this is that Paul makes it really clear all the way through this letter is that the power that somebody needs in order to bring about the change to become, uh, to, to live fully into their citizenship as a citizen of heaven does not come from you. 
So when you feel that temptation of like, oh, the reality of my life doesn't match up with what it's supposed to be, I need to try harder, stop. You can't. It's impossible. What you can do is submit to the one who will allow you to do everything through him who gives you strength. So when pressed, what spills out of you? Well, Paul in Paul recognizes and, and lived into this reality um, that he's like, hey, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So here you got a dude who's pressed, right? He's in jail. He's chained. And his, what spills out of him when he's pressed is, dude, the gospel is totally spreading. This is awesome, right? That's not a normal response. I mean, he's got a lot of good reasons to not respond that way. And yet something has happened inside of him that has created and, and formed him in such a way that when, he had, that when he was pressed, what spilled out of him was thank, thankfulness that the gospel is moving forward, regardless of his circumstance. Verse 14, other people are being strengthened. Um, they're, they're encouraged to, to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly so much so that Paul says, hey, it actually doesn't matter what my situation is. As long as Christ is proclaimed, I'm good. Amen. So like verse 18, literally, what does it matter? Whether people are trying to hurt me or are trying to encourage me, like the focus is not me. It is on what my life is supposed to reflect, and that is a life that's yielded to the Holy Spirit who is producing in me a kingdom of Godness that is spilling and leaking out over on to other people. You become a blessing to everybody that you run across because of the reality of this deeper kingdom. Look, I mean, I, like verse 28 in this, in chapter one, He's like, look, I'm, uh, oh, well, I'll start in 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves. That's actually one of the citizenship words in Philippians. It's the verbal form. It, it literally means, like if I was going to translate this, whatever happens, be a citizen, uh, live as a citizen in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Like That's your identity. You, as we'll see here in a minute, you have been taken hold of by Christ. You are a citizen of heaven. So live into it. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I'll know that you stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. That's a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. So he's literally going, hey, one of the signs of the spirit's work is that when opposition, opposition hits you, when you get pressed, you're able to stand firm. You don't cower away. You don't freak out, right? If you know anything about me, if you're around me for five minutes, there's, there is, uh, there's multiple rules in our family. The top rule in the Wagnon household, anybody know it? Don't freak out. Every other rule subsequent to rule number, rule number one is follow rule number one. Like, just don't freak out. It's okay. <laughs> like, there literally is no reason to freak out about anything. Especially when you're being uh, like uh, uh, 
pressed by opposition, like if you recognize your citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, there's no reason to respond with anything but trust and peace in the fact that he has you. He's not out of of control. He actually says in verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to get pressed for him. Like it's a grace to you. That's literally the word, charis, grace. It's a grace to you that you're pressed for Christ. So the question is, the diagnostic question is, when you're pressed, what comes out of you? And I think if, if the answer is anything um, less than uh, a living into the kingdom of God in a, in a grateful attitude, right, then there is a deficiency there between who you actually are and what is functionally happening in your life. Now that's totally okay. Because look, the last thing you need to do is walk out of here and be like, man, I totally have to work a lot harder to be a good citizen in the kingdom of God, right? Because like I said, to start off with, you can't. What you can do is just talk to Jesus about it. Be like, hey Lord, like when I'm pressed, other junk comes out. I can't do anything about that, but you can. Will you help me? That's a good prayer. We should all pray that, like all day long. I mean, honestly, if, if the community of, of believers at Watermark Community Church in Dallas, Texas, got really, really good and was formed really deeply in this prayer, Lord, I can't do anything about that. Will you please help me? If we got good at that, just put your seatbelt on and watch what happens. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And when we get out of his way, just watch. It's epic. (laughs) All right, second question. How do citizens of heaven exercise power? This is a good diagnostic question. Because every single one of you is made in the image of God. You have been endowed by your creator with with the unique ability to exercise dominion and power in the world. Every single one of you has. That means in your sphere of influence, you exercise power. The question is, what does it look like? Well, in chapter two, verse three, it looks like this. Hey, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. When you exercise power, does the power that you exercise look like um, vain conceit or selfish ambition, or does it look like humility and deferring to the needs and the desires of other people around you? That's a good question. In case we needed an object lesson, and evidently we do, the ultimate exercise of power in the history of the universe looked like this. In in Philippians chapter two, verses six through 11. Your attitude should be the same 
as the Messiah, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but what? He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the shameful death of being nailed naked to a stake of wood. That kind of death, even death on a cross. And you're like, dude, that doesn't sound like power. That sounds like that dude just had a really bad day. And, and the, the answer to that is we'll keep reading. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every single knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's like total cosmos. Everybody, if you can think of it, it's them. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you're like, man, that's, that's like an upside down kind of power. You, you're humiliated and die naked on a stake of wood. How is that power? And the answer is, that's the way. That's the way of the cross. That's what actual power, like the kind of power that ultimately every single knee in all the kingdoms of the, of the world will bow to. That's what that power is. It's, it's humble. It's self-sacrificial. And look, if that seems upside down to you, I think you might want to consider the fact that you might be upside down. That's the way that's right side up. Power is expressed as we yield to the Spirit's work in our lives. Verses 12 and 13, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right Here's the kicker. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. As, as we yield to the Spirit's life, to, the, to, to God's work in our lives, then what's going to happen is he is going, like he did with Paul, he's going to make us into the type of citizen of heaven who will be a good ambassador for him, who will exercise power in a way that brings the kingdom of God here on the earth like Jesus prayed it would. You guys ever notice this about the Lord's Prayer? You know, I always say this. I mean, I remember I played football, right? It's like, it's like the, the Friday, Friday night or Saturday whenever we were playing, um, when everybody took a knee, that was mo most of the time that was like how people prayed once a week. And they prayed the same thing, you know, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. And the whole time people are thinking like, man, we're going to kick off. I'm going to nail that dude, whatever. <clears throat> it's like, no, uh, actually the Lord's prayer is a lot more significant than a locker room, like pick me up before you go play a game. And Jesus prayed, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. 
And and I think what Paul is showing us through his example and teaching the Philippians is the exercising of that type of power of the kingdom of God on the earth comes through self-sacrifice. It's not destructive. And it's super attractive. Now, if you're you're hearing this and you're like, man, how do you do that? Like, that's not real in my life. Uh, I was challenged by a guy named Dallas Willard wrote this. He said, Jesus invited people to follow him into that sort of life from from which behaviors such as loving one's enemies will seem like the only sensible and happy thing to do. For, For a person living that life, the hard thing to do would be to hate your enemy, to turn the supplicant away, to curse the cursor, just as it was for Christ. True Christ-likeness, true companionship with Christ comes at the point where it is hard not to respond the way that Jesus would. That's the kind of transformation I'm talking about. What does it look like when your knee-jerk reaction or your exercise of power is not to dominate people, but is to serve them? Like that's, your, that's the thing that immediately comes out of you. What is, what does that look like? And you're like, man, I have no idea. <laughs> like, and what I would say is like, hey, that's okay. Just talk to Jesus about it. Lord, help me. It's difficult for me to respond or to exercise power the way that you would. Would you help me? That's a really good prayer. We should pray that. Okay, third question. Third diagnostic question. What motivates citizens of God or citizens of heaven. Chapter three, verse three. Well, the short answer is Jesus does, right? For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the spirit of God, who glory in the Messiah, Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, okay? So not only does Jesus motivate us, but also by extension, when Jesus motivates you, you are not motivated by yourself, now, a lot of times we see this word flesh, which is in Greek is sarks. And a lot of times people will look at that and go, eh, that's like totally bad. And I want to I wanna redeem the flesh here just for a minute, okay? The flesh in the, in the biblical conception is not always totally bad, okay? The flesh equals just your natural human abilities. It's a lot more physical than we think it is. So like just your human body the abilities that God has given to you. That's it. That's what flesh means. Now, if you put confidence in your flesh, what's going to spill out of your natural human abilities apart from God is not good. But what Paul has come to realize and what he'll end up saying in Galatians 2 is when you're yielded to and and in a dependent posture on the power of the Holy Spirit, then Uh, then what he can say is, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, what? In the flesh, in my body. I live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Galatians 2.20. So we don't put, we we don't trust or we're not motivated by our own ability We are motivated or should be motivated by the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Now, Paul does this really interesting thing here because he has this kind of like 
a flesh list, but it's a nice thing. He's like, hey, I was a super religious guy, right? I was like a Hebrew of Hebrews and circumcised the eighth day and a tribe of Benjamin. I was flawless, right? And everybody's like, oh, dude, that's like an awesome resume. And he's like, yeah, but when you know Jesus, it's crap. Literally. Whatever's gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Even more, I consider all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing gnosko, a relational intimacy with, a knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I count them as scubala. The nice way to translate scubala is just crap. It's crap in view of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When you're united with the Messiah, then what ends up happening, what you're motivated by is this clear vision of the kingdom of God that's brought about by ultimately the resurrection of Jesus. When you're united with Christ, you share with him in the power of his resurrection. You're made new. You have a new identity, a new name, a new mission, new values, new laws. Not the law that, re- that restricts you, but the law that sets you free. The spirit of God indwells you and you live free. Verse 16 in chapter 3. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Isn't that a cool, that's a cool line, right? Hey, God, Jesus has already grabbed you. You're his. So live like it. You have been set free. So live free. You know, you, when you think about this, it's, uh, uh, C.S. Lewis has this great uh, paragraph in The Grand Miracle, which is on the incarnation of Jesus. But, but he has this, uh, this picture of a diver stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked, then flashing for a moment in the air, then down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch, black, cold, freezing water, down into the mud and slime, and then up again, his lungs almost bursting, back again to the green and warm and sunlit water, and then at last out into the sunshine, holding in his hand, the dripping thing he went down to get. This thing is human nature, but associated with it, all of nature, a new universe. Paul had such a clear vision of of what is that he lived into the reality of what will be. So even though he was subject to Rome and chained to a wall or to a Roman guard, he's chained up, but in his mind, he's like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Like, I'm able to live now because of what I see. Not because of all the laws I follow or because of these transactional things I make with God, but because of what is real now. I see it. And so I'm going to live into it even though I'm chained to a wall. That's what motivated him. The last diagnostic question, who do citizens of heaven trust in? Well, I think Paul reminds them, 
In verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Like there's a reason that you can rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is near. Like he's, he, he's with you. And so you can trust him. Like he's the type of being that when you yield to him, when you trust in him, the thing that you get from him is peace. He's like, hey, dude, trust me. Trust me. Verses six and seven, which some of y'all may have memorized. I don't encourage you to. I've, I've quoted this a lot. As a guy who struggles with anxiety throughout my life. You know, I always used to think of uh, where it says, hey, don't be anxious about anything. And when I'm anxious, I'm like, well, that doesn't help anything. <laughs> I'm like, eh, don't be anxious. Ah! <laughs> I'm more anxious now. Not only was I anxious, now I'm anxious about the fact that I can't stop being anxious. <sighs> it's not helpful. Except that's not what it's talking about. It's saying that while anxiety may be present, there's actually no need for it because the Lord is near. And if you bring your supplication with thanksgiving to God, then the peace of God, which surpasses your ability to understand it, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's who God is. He later says, the God of peace will be with you. He's with you. And so to trust in anything else other than the reality of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit inside of us that he brings us back and unites us to God, why would you trust in anything else? He even says in, he even says in chapter four, verse 19, that God will... Supply all of your needs according to his riches in the Messiah, Jesus. We don't trust in our circumstances. They're going to come and go. There are going to be good days. There are going to be bad days. What the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us as citizens of heaven is the type of reality that regardless of what the circumstance is, we remain steady our eyes fixed on Messiah, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, so that we also, with Paul, can say, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Let's go back to chapter three real quick. I'm gonna tie it up. I skipped a like, major part on purpose. The centrality of the Christ event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the historical event of Jesus' physical, bodily resurrection. I just want to double tap on this so you guys are tracking with me because the reality is, as Christians, we believe, if you're an Orthodox Christian, which just means you hold to the orthodox faith that's been passed down from the apostles. If you're orthodox, then you believe that there was a dude a couple of thousand years ago who lived in Palestine who was just a Jewish rabbi. 
And that guy was nailed naked to a stake of wood. And he died on that piece of wood. Like not just dead, but like dead. The dead, dead, dead. And a couple of days later, he was not dead. It's like, let that sit on you for a minute. Like that's the, that's the central claim of Christianity is that there was a dead guy who's no longer dead. <laughs> and that's the power of the resurrection. That, that's the thing that will take us who are dead inside and bring us back from the dead. He's renewing all of creation. Paul bring, does this stark contrast between what happens when, when our temporal vision can just see the kingdom like right in front of us versus having a broader vision of the deeper reality of the kingdom of God that is present and alive and active now. He says, I have often told you before and now say even again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is not good. It's destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on the kingdoms of the earth. But, that's a big but right there. But, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's resurrection. The, the, the making of all things new so that as Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says, one of these days, all of the kingdoms of the earth, the Spains and the Great Britons and all the countries in Africa and the Middle East and China and Canada, even Canada, and the United States, and all the ones in South America. Now, if you can think of it, every single kingdom of this earth will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Forever. And so, salute the flag. Go eat barbecue, sing the Star Spangled Banner and God bless America and whatever else. But don't for one second ever think that your allegiance to the United States of America should ever trump, pun intended, <laughs> your allegiance to King Jesus. So we should do a self-audit, right? When you're pressed, what spills out of you? Is it fear and anxiety and control? 
And you're like, you're like, no, it's definitely fear and anxiety control. And, and what my answer to that is, hey, it's okay. Just talk to Jesus about it. You can't change yourself. Don't even try. Talk to Jesus about it. He'll change you. How do you exercise power that God has entrusted to you? Do you, do you like jockey for position, seek influence, manipulate? Do you dominate through your strength? Or do you serve? Do you give preference to others? Do you humble yourself and lead through weakness? If you're the former, it's okay. Just talk to Jesus about it. Like you can't change yourself. He'll help you. That's what he does. He literally was like, hey dude, I gotta go away because I'm gonna send a helper and he's gonna help you. It's the Holy Spirit who dwells in you and loves you. What, motiv- what motivates you to do what you do is money, achievement, social or religious status, marital status, whether you have kids or not? Or is it the beauty of Christ? Is it the advancement of the kingdom of heaven? Is it the prize, the, the call of the upper prize of God in Christ Jesus that everything will be made new? Look, if the answers in your mind to these questions reflect somebody that's a little bit too concerned with citizenship in the kingdoms of the world, it's okay. Just don't stay there. Like talk to Jesus about it. And when you see that stuff spill out or you realize that's a motivation or you're living or you're exercising power in a certain way and you recognize it through the grace and the love of God, then just acknowledge it and go, yeah, I can't, I can't deal with this. Jesus, help me. And what will happen over time is you'll go, oh, I think there's a little more peace there. Oh, I think I'm responding in a way that like, like my knee-jerk reaction in that was not to dominate or to get frustrated, but to love. Whoa, I didn't do that. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit, then, then he is taking hold of us in increasing ways. He's already taken hold of us by Christ and now he's bringing about this transformation in our interior life so that we will live fully into the kingdom of God as citizens and ambassadors for him. But just know, like if you give Jesus like an inch, he's gonna take the whole thing. There's no, like, there's no compromise to this. Like, he, he loves you too much. Like David said, he loves you too much to, to like, let you stay where you are. And in case we've forgotten, the, the kingdom of God is not a republic. Um, it's not a democratic government. And Jesus is not an elected official. Jesus is the king. Like, what he says goes. And in case you think that that's like some sort of dictatorial thing, just look at the cross. He humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death. Why? Because he loves you. So whatever that thing is that you're holding on to is like this dirty penny, you know, and Jesus is like, hey, dude, give me your dirty penny. And you're like, no, I love my dirty penny. He's like, no, seriously, you really should give me your dirty penny. Ah, you're like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, like my precious, right? <laughs> it's like, no, seriously, give me your dirty penny. And you're finally like, Ugh. okay, dad, come in, it hurts too bad. And what he does is he takes the entire Federal Reserve, it used to be at Fort Knox, I don't know where it is now, he takes the entire Federal Reserve and just goes, here you go, boom! Like, 
Paul's statement in Philippians 3 when he says, whatever's gained to me, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. That's not a lament. He's not sorry about this. That's a joyful exaltation of the glory and the grace of God. Whatever things were gained to me, I count them as crap. Because I have found something that is so infinitely greater. It's the kingdom of God. And Jesus has elected and chosen and pursued and saved me so that I can live as a citizen in it. And as I do that, I come to life more and more and more. You know, sometimes people will talk about the cost of discipleship. Count the cost. It's going to be hard. <clears throat> and I always remind them, I'm like, hey, maybe we should flip that. Hey, that's a good idea. We should flip that. Let's flip it. All right. From now on, when people are like, it's so hard to follow Jesus. All right. Just remind them, tweak it a little bit. Be like, eh, <clears throat> what does it cost you not to follow Jesus? What does that cost you? Let's focus on that. Willard said, non-discipleship costs you abiding peace, a life penetrated throughout by love, faith that sees everything in light of God's overriding governance for good, hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances, power to do what's right and withstand the forces of evil. In short, it costs, that, it, it, it costs exactly that abundance of life that Jesus said he came to bring. The power or, or, or the, the, the cross-shaped yoke of Christ is, after all, an instrument of liberation. It sets you free. And power to those who live in it, with him, and learn the meekness and lowliness of heart that brings rest to the soul. Guys, your citizenship matters. And there's a deeper reality. There's a deeper kingdom here. And just like Paul was a Roman citizen and he enjoyed the privileges of that, Rome, Rome eventually enslaved him. They put him in prison. And you know what? Rome eventually killed him. So look, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, look, if you, if you think, the United, if you think your, your status as a good citizen of the United States, as a Christian, is going to always be like this, I got news for you. It's not. It may, it may be maybe later down the road as you're older or maybe, in, maybe your kids. I don't know. But, but, but the, the domination of the world is never friendly to Christ. It will cost you. But that's okay. What does it matter? We live in a deeper kingdom. We're citizens of a deeper king. So we risk. You risk being canceled by a cancel culture. You risk losing social status, economic deals. You may even risk your physical freedom and you may even risk your life. But as Paul said in another letter, hey man, these momentary light afflictions are far outweighed by the glory that is to come. And so for me and my house, we will live a resurrected life, yielded, in a posture of dependence on King Jesus, to trust him as we seek to be ambassadors in this world, a city on a hill, in the light of the world.
Hey, look, as one of you, as a human being and a United States citizen, and also as a combat veteran who served this country, I'm telling you, there is a better kingdom. Whatever is great about the United States is a mere shadow of the kingdom of God. And my encouragement to all of us is, hey, man, let the Spirit make you a citizen worthy of, of the gospel of, of Jesus the Messiah. Through union with the Messiah, exercise power the way that Jesus did. Allow your motivations to be driven by the love of God and the power of the resurrection. Trust only in the one who ultimately can meet all of your needs. This is not, a, this is not an exhortation to go do more. It's an, ex, it's an exhortation to yield and an invitation to come to the one who will make all things new. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we celebrate the birth of our nation, that we would never forget that you have given us all of these blessings that we enjoy and that they can also be taken away. And I pray that in the midst of this, you would give us strength, vision, clarity to see what you see, to live as you lived, to love as you love. Help us, Lord, as ambassadors in a foreign land to represent you in a way that brings honor to you and life to others. In Jesus' name.